Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. This week, our good friend Taylor Cole, host of Hotel Hunt TV, will stop by with her monthly hotel review. This week, Taylor will give us a tour of the Wesley Euston Hotel in London, England. Plus, we'll also chat with food and travel writer Catherine Van Brunschot about her cycling tour through France. Looking forward to that. But let's begin by talking about food allergies and how to handle them when traveling. To give us some tips and advice, we're joined now by Beatrice Pavolo. She is the Director of Advocacy and Media Relations with Food Allergy Canada. The website is foodallergycanada.ca. Hi, Beatrice. Hi there. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. I am very fortunate to be uh, one of those people that doesn't have any kind of food allergies. So a lot of this I'm going to have trouble relating to. And so what are some of the common food allergies that uh, that are around? Right. Well, um, I think it's important to understand that, you know, when we talk about food allergy, especially as you just mentioned, you may not be personally affected, but I'm sure you know of at least one person uh, kind of in your social circle that has food allergies. And with over 2.6 million Canadians that have food allergy in this country, it's definitely a growing public health concern. Um, to, to answer your question, you can actually be allergic to any food. Any food can actually cause a reaction. However, in Canada, we have what are known as our priority allergens, which basically represent about 90% of allergic reactions across the country. So those include things like milk and egg, uh, peanuts and other tree nuts like almonds and cashews. Um, it can be wheat. It can be sesame, uh, fish and shellfish, uh, soy, and mustard, actually, is the newest one that was added to the list a few years ago. So mm. we've got about 10 priority allergens, um, and these are things that people need to avoid in order to stay safe every day. And I suppose uh, they range from mild to severe. I'm talking about the reactions now, right? You're talking about the more severe reactions uh, with these, right? Right. Well, what's important to understand is that if you've been diagnosed with a food allergy, um, unfortunately today we don't know whether that will be whether you will react in a mild or a more severe way. So the important thing to understand is that if you have consumed your allergen, um, obviously unknowingly, um, that you need to be prepared uh, to act and to be treat and to treat that reaction with epinephrine, such as an EpiPen, in order to ensure that that reaction doesn't proceed, and then of course go to hospital immediately after. So I think it's important for people to understand that even a small amount of food uh, when ingested can cause a reaction and therefore we really want to be vigilant and for those that are affected by food allergy always you know understanding what's in their food having safe snacks with them um, and again being prepared to treat a reaction should it happen mm-hmm. well I guess that would be uh, the number one tip then when you're traveling is to make sure you have that uh, EpiPen around with you right Absolutely. It's really important to have your medication with you. Um, and we advise people, especially if they're traveling, for example, on an airline, always ensure that those devices are with you on your carry-on or in your backpack or in your purse, but they are on your person. Never pack them in any of the luggage that will be stowed or put away because you would need access to those devices should anything occur. So always have them with you when you're traveling. Is there any problem getting them through airport security? I would imagine not, right? Um, personally, I, I have a son with uh, food allergies, and we've been traveling with him uh, since he was little. Um, he's carried his own devices with him, and I've had them in my uh, in my purse and my carry-on, and we've never had an issue. But we do uh, recommend to everyone that if you do have a device with you that you're carrying, that you do carry a doctor's note as well, um, especially if you're going to countries where they may not understand uh, what the device is for or not really understand food allergy. So having that letter from your doctor or your healthcare professional that just states that you do 
have uh, serious uh, allergies and that you are carrying this device in case of an emergency will always help just in case there are questions. And what are all, what are some of the other things uh, people with allergies, food allergies when they're traveling should be looking out to do? Well, like, like, like always, when you're home, you're always vigilant about what's in your food and what you consume, so that really doesn't change when you're traveling. What we do recommend is uh, always being able to plan ahead as much as possible. So, for example, if you are flying to, if you're flying, for example, calling the airline to find out what their allergy policy is, um, ensuring that you have your own safe snacks and food that you can bring with you. Um, again, especially if you're traveling where you're not, you don't have access to, um, to options that might be appropriate for you. Uh, always carrying your auto injector, such as your EpiPen, as you mentioned. Um, and also, if you are traveling where English is not the primary language or is not your native language, to ensure that you are able to communicate your food allergies when you're dining out or when you're at a hotel, uh, we recommend having allergy translation cards. So um, you can have uh, cards made that have your allergen in English as well as the language of the country that you might be traveling to and being able to provide that each time that you order so that it makes it an easy process to let them know about your food allergy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about uh, travel health insurance? Is that a problem with people with allergies? Um, not that I'm aware of. Um, I think it's important to always uh, ensure that you check with your health care provider uh, to ensure you that you're appropriately covered, but I think it's always important to, uh, to look into that uh, issue as well. Mm-hmm. Anything else uh, you would like to add? Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, what, what we try to... What we try to in, in, um, uh, to to educate people and, and let them know is that it's really important to always be vigilant when you're traveling. Uh, but we don't want them that we don't want that to their food allergy to stop them in terms of um, some of the things that they would like to do and some of the uh, travel that they would like to embark on. Um, so it's really important to, as I said, always be prepared. Uh, planning ahead is really important, especially if you're going to be going out of North America uh, and understanding that uh, common allergens in other countries may not be the same as they are here. Um, so doing a little bit of your homework before you decide on which trip that you'd like to take and before you travel is always important. Um, in terms of hotel accommodations and where you want to stay, again, for those people with food allergies, if they're not comfortable with maybe some of the local cuisine, uh, we would recommend that they look at getting uh, a facility that might have their own kitchen where they can prepare their own food, do their own groceries, etc. So there's all kinds of ways to, to manage when you're traveling and really you just need to understand what's the best, uh, best situation for you and what would suit your needs the best. And uh, as I said, a little bit of homework goes a long way in having a safe and fun trip. Mm-hmm. Well, great tip. Great advice. Uh, Beatrice Pavolo is the Director of Advocacy and Media Relations with the Food Al- with Food Allergy Canada. Again, the website, all kinds of advice on there, foodallergycanada.ca. Uh, appreciate your time, Beatrice. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. Well, once a month, our good friend Taylor Cole, host of Hotel Hunt TV, heard on Amazon Prime, joins us with her monthly hotel review. The website for Hotel Hunt TV, by the way, is hotelhunttv.com. And Taylor joins us now. Hi, Taylor. Hi, Randy. So uh, where are we headed today? We're going to take a trip to London, Randy. Woo-hoo. We're going Jolly to old England, London. I say. <laughs> Jolly old England bloke, <laughs> which I don't even know what bloke means. I hope it's not offensive, but hey, it sounds good. <laughs> uh, so where uh, where did you uh, stay when you were in London? What hotel are we looking at? 
the Wesley Hotel. So you head to the Houston area um, near the train and metro stations. And Houston Station is both the uh, tube and it's a train station. So you head that area and there is the beautiful Wesley Hotel. It's called an eco-friendly hotel for those who really want to travel socially responsible. Mm -hmm. This hotel is a shining example of being eco-friendly. Nice. Uh, first impressions. I always like to ask you that first. So it, this is not the first time you stayed there, is it? It's not. However, I did have the opportunity and my co-host of Hotel Hunt had an opportunity to be there for a hard hat tour. So we saw it both in its um, construction phase as well as later once many of the areas were reconstructed and built. The benefit of that, though, was that we were able to confirm for ourselves that it is, in fact, eco-friendly, sustainable, socially responsible, all of that. Actually, this hotel, the Wesley, was named the number one ethical hotel in the U.K., and it's the only hotel in London to receive the social enterprise mark distinction as a green hotel. So they're absolutely dedicated to social responsibility. Everything from what you can imagine with the water and the um, materials they use for linens, but also in how they dispose of waste at the hotel um, and the, their use of natural light. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it doesn't sound like it's a big hotel. If it's in the heart of London, there isn't a whole lot of space, I don't think, there for, for massive hotels, do they? It's a boutique hotel with um, less than 80 rooms, so it's a very personable experience, I like to say. Um, it's also part of the Methodist Church. So this hotel has conference rooms that have been named after many famous leaders within the Methodist Church and places. For example, Savannah, Georgia, they have a room named Savannah. Um, they have a room named Wesley, of course, for the Wesley Hotel, but then um, you know, after Wesley. So they have several areas that are named after leaders. Um, they have locally sourced products and organic products. And I, I know you've probably stayed at hotels, Randy, where they have um, their own soap that was created. Mm. Have, have you stayed at a hotel like that? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're doing things like that, making their own soap, um, organic produce. Um, they have an on-site water purification area. And even their staff. Now, here's the thing that really got me. And I was like, does that mean that the rates are higher? But they pay their staff higher wages so that they can maintain that level of sustainability because often organic produce and the sustainable uh, environment and things to do with um, keeping um, things eco-friendly actually cost more money, which is, is sad. So they, they pay their staff more wages um, in order to keep the quality there. And they also spend more money to maintain this eco-friendly status. So uh, tell me about the rooms, and then let's talk about the area. I imagine uh, the location's fantastic, right down in the heart of London, yeah? It's a great location. So first, the rooms. Every room is spacious, and as I mentioned, it has that natural light. So you're going to find great big windows. And in the construction of the hotel, it was situated in a way so that every room has a window that really brings in a lot of light and they reduce the amount of electricity that you have to use in the room. Mm -hmm. The um, green part of the hotel isn't just in the theory and the concept. You have a hint of green in every room 
and the staffers even wear this bright green in their uniforms and their wardrobes. <laughs> so you can so spot green, them <laughs> quite easily, You can easily, spot right? them right away. This is the guy <laughs> that needs to help me. This is the lady that needs to help me with my room. Yes, you can spot them right away. And, oh, I didn't mention, though, that this is a corporation, but it's also a social enterprise. And over 50% of the profits from this hotel go to charity. Nice. Very nice. Um, and speaking of which, the charity they support is in Kenya, and it's called the Rafiki Trust. So they support children, helping them get school supplies, clean water, reading materials. I mean, everything you do when you stay at this hotel, you can feel confident that 50% of the profits from your stay will go to charity and helping to protect the environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now when you step out the front door uh, from the lobby, uh, I imagine there's all kinds of sites and, and places you can visit within walking distance, right? There's a lot there. Because you're at the train station and the tube station, of course, there's going to be restaurants and things there. For example, Cafe Rouge is inside Houston Station. That's a French bistro with delicious cuisine. So you can basically step right into France and have some delicious food. Other things I like to do in the area, the British Museum is very nearby. St. Pancras Station is um, a few steps down from Houston. And so you can go to the British Museum. Um, Also, you could take in a show at the Bloomsbury Theater, which isn't too far. Um, There's the Petrie Museum of Egyptian Archaeology. Um, There's the Charles Dickens Museum for um, the history buffs. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah. Yes, and then you know, just all the other things that London has to offer. Um, you, since you're so close to the tube station, you can hop the tube and get off at Covent Garden and go shopping there. Um, let's see, you could go to, um, again, St. Pancras, which has so many beautiful like Renaissance-style hotels. If you want to eat at a chain, Pizza Express is nearby, and that's a good <laughs> consistent quality of uh, thin crust pizza that you can get at, at Pizza Express. And so there's lots of different things that you can do in the area, all convenient and only a tube ride away in the heart of London. Nice. Now, there's a restaurant on site at the Wesley, right? There is. That restaurant's called the Savannah. So uh, my friend Rebecca, she took a hard hat tour of the Savannah before it was complete. Now the Savannah is open and their signature item is fish and chips. Of course, true to London, fish and chips. (laughs) Um, They have various puddings and tarts and a nice breakfast. But Savannah is the notable restaurant. Um, And there's even a restaurant named Savannah that's a sister to um, this one that's outside Houston Station. So is this a a new hotel? It's recently been built, or has it been there for a while? It's been around for a while. I would say within the past 20 years, um, the hotel was there. You know, again, because it was founded as part of the Methodist Church, it was founded as a place for um, a lot of the missionaries and the people to stay, and then it's grown into a larger property over the years. Mm-hmm. So your overall impressions, your first impressions versus uh, after you stayed there for a few nights. Well, the first impression, it was a work in progress. Um, after we stayed a while, I felt more energized. I think there, the air was clean. The air is purified. The water was purified. I felt healthy. I didn't feel bogged down with overly heavy desserts and, mm-hmm. and menu items. You know, there's something about it, and I think it is. It's that sustainability with the quality EEOC lighting, with all the extra amenities that have been locally sourced. There's something about staying in a hotel 
that um, really considers the environment and also tries to protect and preserve the environment around it. So I think it would have a great impression on any of our listeners, and I think you should stay at the Wesley, Randy. Yeah, well, the website is, is thewesley.co.uk, and you can find out more with Taylor Cole. She is the host of Hotel Hunt TV, uh, heard on Amazon Prime. Again, their website is hotelhunttv.com. Thanks again, Taylor. Thank you, Randy, as always. Until next time, safe travels. So do you enjoy going for a bike ride now and again? How would you feel about taking a bike tour on your next vacation? How about through France? Well, that's exactly what food and travel writer Catherine Van Brunschot did recently. And she is here now to share her experience touring on a bike through France. Hi, Catherine. Hi. How are you doing, Randy? I'm good. I'm excited to learn about uh, cycling through France. I'm not much of a cycler. I do like bike riding. But I don't know uh, if I would be fit enough to do one of these cycle tours. Uh, how much cycling is involved? And are you like a Olympic-type cycler to, to do this? Well, absolutely not. I'm strictly a leisure cyclist, probably pretty much like you. I like to stick mostly to bike paths and things. Um, and, in fact, if I'm to be perfectly honest, on this particular tour, I actually fell off my bike at the first stop sign <laughs> when I couldn't get my... I couldn't get my toes out of the toe clips quickly enough, so definitely the sign of a rank amateur. But but there's there's bike tours out there for every level of fitness. Um, you know, I've got friends who are big. You know, they like to do 110 kilometers a day. There's trips for them. And then I've got other friends who like to do um, you know go on e-bikes and take it a little easier. So there's there's a there's a tour out there for everybody. I think. Is this the first time you did a, a cycling tour? Um, one that. The first time I've done one where I cycled this many days in a row, yeah. <laughs> so now, other than the obvious, uh, how is a bike tour different from a typical tour? Um, I guess what I really like about it, I like to include a little physical activity in just about any trip I take. Um, part of it's just to wear off some of the calories that I eat and drink, but <laughs> but is that it really um, gets you, sometimes gets you off the beaten track. And um, I like it because it really immerses you in the environment and the local culture and things. You, 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 you get to spend time um, meeting people, um, seeing where they live in a way that you can't get by just ticking off the tour site. Mm-hmm. So now tell me uh, what the tour entailed and, and how much cycling actually is involved. Okay, well, this particular trip, was a self-guided cycling tour that that went through what I think is one of the most interesting corners of Provence. Uh, we booked it with a little tour company called uh, Detours in France, and this one uh, had us spending two nights in each of three different towns. Um, started in Arles on the banks of the Rhone. We had two nights in this really beautiful village called Saint-Hilaire de Ozelan, and then two nights in Saint-Rémy, which is really the heart of rural Provence. The tour company booked accommodations for us mm-hmm. uh, at those places, and then they also provided baggage transport between the hotels, and they were also um, provided us on-call roadside assistance if we needed it. So they met us the first night, fitted us up with bikes and helmets, and most importantly, they gave us really great maps and detailed route notes, um, and those route notes included um, 
turn-by-turn guidance, really. Um, And then some background about the places we were cycling through and the sites to see along the way. But I guess you asked me, you know, how much cycling's in, uh, involved here. This trip um, was a pretty moderate cycle. Uh, we weren't doing any more than 50 kilometers a day, sometimes uh, less than that. And that's something that is, um, you know, even someone really slow like me can do in maybe three hours. So, so nothing too serious. It sounds like a lot, but uh, and, and I suppose it's all spread out, right? You're not doing 50 kilometers all at once, are you? No, exactly. I mean, if you can cover that ground in two or three hours, so that means you've got the whole day to stop and, uh, you know, linger over lunch in a square or um, spend some time prowling around a castle or, um, you know, or if you decide that you want to get to your hotel um, more quickly so you can explore the town you're ending up in, um, maybe do some shopping, you can do that too. So it, it gives you lots of flexibility. And how many people were on the tour? Like you said, this is a self-guided tour. So who's the leader? Well, this was this was a special trip that we did uh, to celebrate a longtime friendship between a group of ten of us. Okay. Um, and we've been hanging out together for oh, probably almost twenty-five years, and we decided that cycling would be fun, but our abilities varied <laughs> quite a bit. We had some people who were real. Uh, strong mountain bikers and some Tour de France types. And then there's people more like me who, you know, get out a little bit uh, on the bike paths and things <laughs> a little more tentative. So we kind of took our tur- our turns and our different roles being leaders. So there were a couple of people who were good at reading maps. Um, and so we sort of spread ourselves between the group and uh, made sure that we weren't losing anybody. What were some and of the ahead. highlights for you then? Well, there's big hi- highlights and little highlights, right? I mean, and this is part of the reason I like to do some some soft um, adventure traveling is that when you're out in the in the cycling through the countryside, there's really a lot of little highlights along the way. So we we cycled through a, a birding area, and so we could watch and listen to the birds as we went along. You couldn't do that so much if you were in a on a train or in a bus or in a car or something. Mm-hmm. And, a, few, a couple of my favorite days is when we were cycling through an area where they were doing the grape harvest and the smell of the grapes and the it, it just smelled like wine all around us. And, and for <laughs> someone like me, that was just incredible. Um, and then another day, you know, we flushed up a wild boar when we were uh, when we were riding back at dusk, which was really cool for us. Um, I mean, not so great for the farmer in whose field it was routing around. But um, so those are the little highlights along the way. But um if I was to pick out one major highlight, it would probably be our last day of cycling. Um, and this is in the area around St. Remy because there was just so much to see around here within a, within a pretty small area. So, for instance, um, just outside of town, our first stop, we stopped at a place called St. Paul de Mazol. Mm-hmm. And that's the asylum that um, Van Gogh checked himself into for a year when he was trying to paint himself back to uh, mental health. And they... Um, they have his former room set up to look just like it did um, when he was there. So including, you know, having some works in progress there, and it looks like he just stepped out for a minute to take a walk. Um, so that's a pretty neat thing. And the grounds there are really serene, and all around them are reproductions of the paintings that Van Gogh actually did there. So that pretty soon, as you're standing there looking at the landscape and his painting in the landscape, you start to see the light and the motion of the trees, just the way he saw it. And wow. 
So it, it was a cool effect. Uh-huh. Um, and then just a little further along the way, um, less than maybe half a kilometer, there was the Roman city of Glanum, which in its day was, was really wealthy and important. So there's lots of, um, lots of ruins there to explore. Uh, we probably had our toughest hill up next on that day, but the, the, uh, the reward for that was that it took us to the hilltop village of Le Beau. And if I was to pick just one highlight, this would be it, because this is just a picture-perfect uh, village of winding medieval streets that are just filled with shops and cafes and galleries. And then at the top of the town, there's this big breezy plateau where there's castle ruins to climb around. Um, there's medieval weapons up there to check out and then just terrific views in every direction. It's, it's, it's a really special place. Mm-hmm. Sounds wonderful. How stiff were you after a couple of days of cycling though? <laughs> <laughs> But the nice thing about this particular trip is that every second day, it was the route was a loop ride that uh, took you uh, back to the same town that you came back from. So if you decided you really didn't want to climb back on the bike that day and you wanted to sit by the pool instead, then you could do that. Ah, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone's thinking of doing a cycling tour, what's a quick tip for them? Um, I say I guess the biggest tip is to choose according to your own abilities in terms of, you know, how much distance and what kind of hills you can manage. I mean, you really want to keep this fun, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say, some companies like this one, Detours in France, even have e-bikes on offer. And one other thing I'd suggest, if you're not a particularly confident or experienced cyclist, to take a guided tour, um, maybe even one that has a van that comes along with you uh, to give you a list if you power out partway through the day. Um, the other thing is, you know, if you have a good tour guide, they can provide you all kinds of extra stories and insights along the way that you just can't get from mm-hmm. reading notes and things. So I would, I, would, I would think about those two things. Catherine Van Brunschot is a food and travel writer. Her website is catherinevanbrunschot.com. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Catherine. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Good talking with you. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, take a minute, rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And if you want to drop me a line, my email address is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.